Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we are discussing Dutch Sheets' book, Intercessory Prayer. Last week, we discussed his claim that we need to enforce the victory over the powers of darkness that Christ accomplished at the cross. This week, we are going to discuss his claim that there was something lacking in Christ's afflictions, and that lack is our part. Now, it's probably going to actually take us two weeks to cover this. Part of the reason that it will take a while is he's using a commonly disputed and um, a little bit confusing passage, which is something we find regularly with false teachers. So let's just start there. Why do they take these obscure passages to build their theology on? Because if you take the whole counsel of God revealed in Scripture, you wouldn't end up with that theology. Right. So whatever is disputed and difficult, that's the key passages that false teachers will glom onto because they can fill in and who's going to refute them. Right. And in this particular chapter that we're discussing today, that's really what he does. He, he takes a rather confusing passage and builds his entire theology on that. And he even states, and we'll probably quote this again next week, but he states that that which is lacking is really the point of the book, of his book. Right. That's why we're focusing on this. The passage is Colossians 1.24. And we have to deal with this sort of thing because you write an entire book based on the interpretation of one verse that he likes because it fits his idea about the kingdom of God, spiritual warfare, intercession, prayer, the mission of the church, anything and everything. He can get his extreme synergistic theology from that verse because it's hard to refute unless you can very clearly state what the verse does mean. Right. Which we intend to do today. Yes. All right. Do you want to read that verse for us and then we'll discuss it? Okay. Colossians one twenty four says this. This is Paul writing to the church at Colossae. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh, I, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Okay. And that last part is what he is focusing on, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, you preached on this uh, several years ago. So, listeners, you can find that at the church website, ggf.church. And if you click on sermons and then go by scripture, pull up Colossians, and you can find his sermon on Colossians 1.24. Let's just unpack that a little bit and see what Paul was actually trying to tell us here. So looking at what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, what is Paul referring to? 
I'll tell you what I believe that it means based on all the study I've done and teaching through the New Testament. Okay. After the ascension and the day of Pentecost during these last days, the church age, as the gospel is preached, and particularly as the real apostles, Christ and his apostles, proclaim the gospel, what happens is a rejection of it. And the rejection and hatred that is a reaction against the gospel is what causes afflictions for those who are proclaiming it. Right. And, you know, if you've ever tried to share the gospel with anyone, you probably know firsthand that there are some who will accept it and believe, and there are some who will get very angry about it. That's true. I think the reason I've been saying this quite regularly lately as I'm preaching through 1 Corinthians, similar idea there, the gospel, according to 1 Corinthians chapters 1, 2, 3, I'm, right now I'm in chapter 4, is an offense or a scandal to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks, which is a word that would mean the Gentiles. It's a figure of speech for all who aren't the Jewish ones. And okay. so everyone in that time hated the gospel. Right. It either offended them or seemed foolish or, by God's grace, converted those who believed. Yes. Now, that doesn't seem quite the same today because of Christendom. Right. Because now let's her, define Christendom. It is church history and the institutional church in various forms that's existed from about 300 and some AD onward. And it still okay. exists. And I think that that's the big problem. Okay. Institutional Christianity is assumed to be the church. Yes. And so there may be simple versions or very complex versions, but if you take Rome, Eastern Orthodoxy, by Rome I mean Roman Catholicism, mm -hmm. Anglican, then various versions of evangelicalism, there's structures, ideas, hierarchies, bishops, archbishops, councils, popes, and that we assume is Christianity. And when we talk about the cross, you can drive by the most liberal, um, pagan, new age group, and there'll be a church building, and it'll say something about Christ, or maybe maybe even have a cross along with other yeah. things in their stained glass. So how do people understand this? Right. And you, you're right, Jessica. If we proclaim the terms of the gospel as laid out in the New Testament, it offends Christians. <laughs> yes, or those who think they are Christians. Right, because they don't believe there's wrath of God against sin. Mm -hmm. They don't believe that Christ is who he claims he is in the Bible. Okay. The very creator. And they believe in the spirit of Christ or the Christ consciousness or whatever else they may believe. Right. 
So we have to cut through all of that and get down to the fact that when we read through the book of Acts, people reacted violently against the gospel. Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul, his conversion, as we see, was violent in his reaction against it. There okay. were riots against it. And it was considered foolishness to the Greeks, the philosophers, and the Gentiles. You read that in the book of Acts. So this filling up that Paul's talking about, he hadn't been to Colossae. He wrote there, and it has to do with the fact that as long as the church age lasts, the gospel will be hated and rejected, and people will suffer for, per, for preaching it. Right. And as a matter of fact, I have met many people who grew up in Christian churches who, upon conversion, are rejected by their Christian families. Absolutely. Okay. Now, that was something that would be very strange because Christians, as defined in the Bible, share something in common. They yeah. know Christ, and the whole world hates them. Right. The, uh, they're, they're a scandal to their very existence. Now, that's still true, but we have to define what this is about. So what's wrong with the version of it that Dutch Sheets proclaims? It is deprived of its essence of offense. Yes. Okay. So mm -hmm. sufferings would be, we have to do more so that nice things happen to people. Better people get out of the hospital or communities get better or families get better. So it's a version of life enhancement preaching. Okay. So the reason for sufferings in this his context, we need to add to what Christ did, is that People don't have the right knowledge or somebody didn't come along and get a revelation from God or do something to add to what Christ did so that somebody's child gets out of the hospital or whatever the problem may be. I don't belittle those sort of problems, but that's not Paul's point. No. And I mean, it, too, it really makes this kind of needy Jesus who did just so much, and now he's sitting back and waiting for us to finish it. As a matter of fact, I see as I go over this book yet now a third time, looking at some of this, this is the essence of the new apostolic reformation, post-millennialism. Um, word of faith comes in here in certain regard. This is what's wrong. This is what's wrong with false teaching in the church today. Absolutely. Okay, so here's this passage. We read it, Colossians 1, 24. And Dutch Sheets himself says it's the essence of his book. We're yes. going to do our part. Christ is waiting for us to do our part. Right. Okay. And, but we can't we can't find that in this passage, but because it is a confusing passage to people, and we, we read that we think filling up what is lacking in Christ. Well, isn't he saying something is lacking? We need to make sure that we are reading that in the context of the rest of Scripture, where it becomes very clear. 
Yeah, let me point something out about that. Okay. The passage that he is speaking about is based on a, a Greek word that has two prefixes, okay? Anti okay. and ana. And this, this word is only used one time in the entire New Testament, and that's here in verse 24. Okay. Because it's a, that's called a hapox in, as in Greek scholarship, is once and not again, at least in this context. Okay. So you have a double prefix with to fill up, plerao. So the particular word is difficult. And that's yes. why in church history, Roman Catholicism has added their version of it. What do we do to add to Christ's sufferings and so on? And now here we have false teachers that are associated with and gladly associated with the New Apostolic Reformation doing the same thing. In fact, some of this is so extreme, I think it might even make Roman Catholics blush. Right. Okay, so what is this filling up the sufferings? Well, Douglas Moo, very well-respected scholar who takes the scriptures seriously, lists five different ways it's been interpreted. Okay. Okay. And uh, so the verb is uh, anti plus the word anaplerao, ante anaplerao, long compounded uh, verb. It could mean fill up in place of, well, even uh, Dutch sheets wouldn't go so far as to say Paul is replacing Christ. It could okay. be fill up on behalf of, which would emphasize that whatever he's doing is on behalf of Christ, or it could mean fill up in response to, or it could have reciprocal significance, do something like after Christ. But again, okay. it's really confusing. Right. So if you, if you have that, then you have to look at the context and other similar ideas. The word's only used once in that uh, exact form. But we can look at similar ideas and Paul's preaching and other things that happened. Okay. And, and doing that, which I've done in a sermon, and now I'm, I just went back and redid the research on that because that was quite a few years ago. I think you can see that what it means is that those who are faithful, those who are stewards of the mysteries of God, I just preached on that last week from, from 1 Corinthians, are required to be faithful to the calling that God gave them. Right. So Paul, in his faithfulness to proclaim Christ, to teach the truth that only through the shed blood of Christ the unique one, God the Son, is the one who died for sins once for all. And as we proclaim that, we also explain what it is that needs to happen. The wrath of God is directed against the sin of the, of the whole human race. Yes. We all sin. We're all facing God's wrath. We're going to come under judgment. And the only escape is through belief in Christ, trusting Christ. Repent and turn to Christ. 
Yes. So what happens when that ha- when that is proclaimed and people do? We we've quoted this again and again. So interestingly, the context really helps us understand this. I've printed out yes. Colossians one. Uh, All right, let's have you share some of that. Yeah, let's just look at the context rather than suddenly because of these charming sentimental stories in his book, which I'm frankly, uh, most people will smile and say, oh, what a nice story. I heard that stuff in the 70s over and over. The most popular preachers had funny stories. There's nothing wrong with a funny story, but not if it leads people to false teaching. Yeah. I don't want to hear a funny story unless it helps understand something important, but I'm not going to believe a false teaching because a charming guy tells me a bunch of stories. Right. All right. So what is, what happens as the gospel preached and we, people believe it and they trust Christ, the world hates them, the world rejects them, but what happens to the believer? Well, that's told to us in the same Colossians 1. Verses okay. 13 and 14. All right. This is the same group Paul's writing to. And it's about all Christians. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption to forgiveness of sins. Yes. Okay. So that's what's true. Anyone who believes in Christ alone and trusts him is converted, born of God. That person is transferred out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his son. Right. Oh, that's already true. It's already true for Paul. It's already true for believers. It's not true for the lost. Right. They're still in the domain of darkness. Right. And so Dutch Sheets and his buddies want to go defeat darkness, not by preaching the gospel, though they wouldn't be against that, but by taking dominion and doing our part to enforce the gospel. So whether he will come out and defend post-millennialism vigorously and admit that's what he believes, I cannot say. I assume he would say, yeah, we're post-millennial. I don't know what he believes in that regard, but this is post-millennialism, meaning Christ cannot return until we first take dominion over the world. Right. And he makes it clear right here that he believes part of that is us filling up Christ's afflictions, right. that which is lacking, doing right. our part. And his take now, Psalm 110, verse 1 and so forth is not biblical. We're the one, but then we see enemies. As we were discussing this before, you brought up how this actually fits in with our eschatological views, though. So we look at this and we can see a definite post-millennial thread in where he's going with this. From our view, how does this tie into eschatology? Good question. It ties in this way, as long as the church age lasts okay and then i would i believe in a literal daniel 70th week that happens okay the end which is also a lot of flipses yes but it's before the millennium during that time 
during that, however long it lasts. No one knows how long that will last. Right. The church age is characterized by suffering for those who believe. Yes. Okay. It's how much suffering is part of God's providence. But the fact is, the key thing that's true for us is release from sins, transfer into the kingdom of his son. And as we've said before, direct access to Christ who intercedes for us. Okay. Okay. We don't need to tell him how to intercede for his own church. Right. Okay, that's Sheets claims. This is so false. Yeah. This is so utterly wicked. Uh, The thing that really bothers me is when wickedness comes in a charming package. Well, and that's what makes it so deceptive. Because we'll get, I don't know how long we want to keep going through this book, but it so epitomizes false teaching that we have to add our part or, I don't know, it all kind of just doesn't work out unless we do our part. Right. So would you say it this way? Uh, Our part is to preach the gospel. And the result of that is the sufferings. Right. But it's not the other way around. See, the reason that even Christians suffer at the hands of other Christians is that Christendom is not Christianity. Right. Exactly. And that is something we have to understand, the assumption. And I was in a group like this, and that's why I'm passionate trying to keep people out of it. Yes. The assumption is anybody raised in a Christian church, in a sort of a Christianized culture with Christian terminology and so forth, is Christian. Right. He assumes that because people call him and, well, how are we going to solve this problem? We'll find out how to defeat the powers or how to do our part to get the problem to go away. But what about the wrath of God against sin? Do you think that only applies to pagans somewhere that where there's never been a church? Or do and, you, Go ahead. Well, that's such a typical American evangelical view that America is a Christian nation and and we've all heard about Jesus and we all know the gospel and what kid didn't go to VBS one summer. So the pagans are out there somewhere else. That That's the rest of the world. That's some obscure tribe in Africa. They don't realize it's us. Well, it's pretty easy for me to see that because I see pagan churches with names on them that you would think are associated with traditional Christianity that are as uh, pagan and anti-Christian as some of the radical politics we see around here. Right. And they're the ones that get most angry when you preach Christ. Right. Because they have their own agenda and it's not from God. So that's what we got to get right. Now, the suffering What we don't know is when Christ will return and he defeats his enemies. Right. Okay. Dutch Sheets and company, see Peter Wagner, the rest who's no longer in the scene of history, but that movement is still 
rolling along, New Apostolic Reformation, they're believing that we're supposed to be defeating enemies now by doing various things, depending on what version of it. Okay. Spiritual mapping, casting down the spirits, finding out what demons doing what, uh, saying certain things, getting revelations, whatever it is. And then we're doing our part. And that's what's in here. Our part is to be faithful to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes. And I've talked to many people kicked out of evangelical churches for asking that the pastor would pre preach the pure word of God and proclaim the gospel. Yep. That just happened to a friend of mine here just a few weeks ago. Yes. It's, it's so who would have thought that the persecution that Paul's talking about would come from Christianity, Christendom. Yes. So why why would Christians not want the gospel preached? Because they aren't truly Christians. They bought onto this idea that Christendom is Christianity, and if we make it bigger, then we're doing our part. Right. And you know what we really find in looking at this verse then is as we come up against these things and as we preach the truth, that's where the sufferings are. That's where the afflictions are. I had written down as we were talking yesterday, uh, a comment that you had made that I think is pretty relevant here. And, and you said it's sharing in what it costs to be gospel preachers. Yes. So it, it's not adding to the finished work of Christ at the cross which Dutch Sheets actually says didn't happen. Uh, here on page 77, he said, Christ didn't quite finish the job, however. So he's actually bold enough to come out and claim, we have to finish Christ's work on the cross, which should be shocking. But what we actually have to do is preach the gospel. And the result of gospel preaching is suffering and affliction. But some will be saved. Some will be transferred. Some will be redeemed. The gospel will go forth. Christ will establish his church and his kingdom will come in his time when God is ordained. And our part is simply to preach the gospel. Absolutely. And we better understand what the gospel is. Yes. So that's why I preach it just about. In fact, if I forget to lay out the terms of the gospel some Sunday, I usually don't, but I may get an email. We yeah. the gospel. Yeah. And so uh, we're careful to do that because people hear this. The, they bring friends. They want them to hear the gospel. And the word of God needs to be purely taught. Right. So when will this end? How much is the filling up, plerao, the suffering? It happens through church history. And this is a complex event as we get to the end. Mm -hmm. You know, our people have different eschatologies, but as you get to the end, there's complexities to this. Right. There is a Daniel 70th week, and there's still, there's, that's when there's even more suffering. Yes. And I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, but that's not the end of the sufferings. There's more right. than one. And... The millennial kingdom is not here until the Christ is here reigning. 
Right. That's the point of the Psalm 110. And I noticed later that she gets that one wrong. Okay. Okay, so we're going to do that now. That's our part. No, our part is to be faithful to the gospel. And it's clear in the context here. It's very right. clear in the context. And I read the transfer of the domain. And then it goes on. says in Colossians 121, I'll just take some parts of this so you get the context. Okay. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not removed away from the hope of the gospel which you've heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. So if you don't apostatize, okay, renounce the gospel, in which case you're Judas, and you right. stay focused on that hope. So the part that Paul's talking about is belief in the promises of God and trusting him. Yes. The part that Dutch Sheets talks about is us doing what Christ didn't get done and enforcing whatever it is, uh, how he defines the kingdom, on the demons and dark, forces of darkness, and then getting revelations that aren't to be found in Scripture and get people out of the hospital better to various things that happen. Or right. getting a revelation about how a certain country is going to be saved again. It doesn't really happen. Yeah. The pagans are still pagans. The nations are still pagan. America is getting more pagan as we speak. So this right. Christianizing the world never happens. So our part is remain steadfast in your hope, which is through the gospel. And then as the church, not as the institutional church, the national church, the state church, the liberal church, the new age church, the all of the different things that are out there. No, as the gathered flock of the redeemed under the means of grace, we pray for one another, care for one another, and do the sort of things passages here say, the world is always going to hate us. Right. So our part, that's his problem, our part. This is synergism that is shockingly bad. Yes. Synergism means salvation is a cooperative effort between God and man. Okay. So now as I'm looking at this context, before we run out of time here, looking at Colossians 1.13, all the way down through this verse, 124, we've been rescued from the domain of darkness. Yes. We've been transferred to the kingdom of the beloved son. We have redemption. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have Christ who is before all things and in him, all things pull together. He is the head of the church. We've been reconciled through uh, his fleshly body, through death, in order to present us holy and blameless. 
If we continue in the faith, we're not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which was proclaimed, and Paul is a minister. Now he can and we can rejoice in sufferings as we share in the affliction because of all of these things that have happened as we go forth and proclaim the gospel. Yeah, we're different than the world and we're trusting Christ. Right. And that's why we're suffering. Yes, not suffering not because Christ needed something from us. We're suffering because we are in Christ. That's so far from the context. Yeah. Absurd. Uh, he's the head of the bodies before all things. In him, all things hold together. This is the deity of Christ. This is providence. God is caring for us and bringing history along. Why are we suffering? Now, because it's not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed, the sufferings of right. this age. So it has to do with how long this age goes on, and that's not revealed. That's not revealed. We don't know. And Paul also says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Right. We don't know how many people that is. We don't know how long that's going to be. We don't know the amount of suffering. We don't know the amount of believers so what we do in the meantime is be faithful to preach the gospel and rest in all that we have in Christ. Yes, and that is so clear in the context. And it really saddens me to see how many people would even read this and think our part. All right. We are going to continue this conversation next week, still talking about suffering and filling up these afflictions. We have some cross-references to discuss and some quotes from further on in this chapter. So uh, we are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years' worth of articles at the website, cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramis. And Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week.